Right, if you turn to Zechariah chapter 1. Um, having spent a, an awfully long time working through 1 Peter, um, it was very tempting to go on to 2 Peter and just carry on from there. But I thought it was time for a change, time for something different. So I've decided to look at the book of Zechariah. Now that really is something completely different. Um, I don't know how well you know the book of Zechariah or, or what comes to your mind when you, you hear it mentioned, uh, but you probably think of, it, think of it as being one of those books that are a bit strange. It's one of those weird ones, isn't it? It's up there with Ezekiel and bits of Daniel and, and Revelation. So... Um, when I started preparing, I turned to um, Montgomery Boyce's little commentary on Zechariah, and I was very dismayed when I saw his opening sentence. Uh, he said, Zechariah is one of the most difficult books <laughs> in the Old Testament. Um, but I was a bit more encouraged as I, I read a little bit more Widely, and I came across uh, other comments that were a little bit more encouraging. Um, one writer said, Zechariah is the most messianic of all the writings of the Old Testament. Someone else said, The key to unlocking the truth contained in Zechariah is the Messiah, Jesus. Um, someone else said, At least 33 portions of Zechariah are quoted in about 50 different places in the New Testament. Many of these are in connection with the Lord Jesus Christ. So the consensus is that Zechariah is full of Christ and therefore it should also be full of encouragement, shouldn't it? Uh, in fact, one uh, writer said Zechariah is the Barnabas of the Old Testament, a true son of encouragement. So Boyce might be right in, in saying that Zechariah is a difficult book, uh, but I reckon it should be well worth the effort of trying to, to understand it. And we should expect to find plenty of encouragement in doing so. So with, with no more ado, let's turn to Zechariah uh, chapter 1, verse 1, where we read, In the eighth month, in the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came to the prophet Zechariah, the son of Berechiah, son of Iddo. And really, in, in that verse, we find some answers to the very obvious introductory questions. When? Who? And what? So when? Well, we see that it was in the eighth month in the second year of Darius. Um, Darius reigned as emperor of Persia from 522 to 486 BC. So the book begins in the 8th month of 520 BC. Now that's very precise, but you're probably not much the wiser for knowing that. Unless, of course, if you've been in the Ezra um, life groups, uh, because this really very much coincides with, with the background to Ezra. But um, just to flesh out the historical context, you'll remember that way back in Israel's history, the kingdom was split uh, into, two, into two parts, in, into two kingdoms. Um, 
in, in 930 BC. Uh, and then the, uh, the ten northern tribes formed the northern kingdom of Israel and the two remaining tribes uh, formed the kingdom of Judah. In 723 BC, the northern kingdom uh, was taken into captivity by Assyria and they never returned. They were, they were gone, lost. Uh, Judah continued but was eventually taken into captivity in Babylon in 586 BC. Um, that captivity began to come to an end when Babylon was captured by the Persians in 539 BC and the Persian king at that time was Cyrus. And in 538, he decreed that the captives could return to uh, Jerusalem to rebuild the temple. Uh, and a group of the captives uh, returned immediately under the leadership of Zerubbabel. Now, King Cyrus was succeeded by Darius in 522 BC, so the book of Zechariah begins about 18 years after the first exiles uh, had, had set off to, to return to Jerusalem. What had happened during those 18 years? Well, they'd started rebuilding the temple, um, but then we read in Ezra 4 verse 24, then the work on the house of God that is in Jerusalem stopped and it ceased until, would you believe it, the second year of the reign of Darius, king of Persia. So what we find is that the work on the, the temple stopped. Um, it was a complete standstill, but then it started up again. And that was the exact point at which Zechariah uh, came on the scene with his prophecies from the Lord. That's a bit about when, but who? Well, it, you say it seems obvious. We're told the word of the Lord came to Zechariah, but then there are 27 different Zechariahs uh, mentioned in the scriptures. So it's good that we are told that it was Zechariah, the son of Berechiah, son of Iddo. Now in Nehemiah 12 uh, verse 16 we read these peculiar words of Iddo Zechariah of Ginnathon Meshulam what's that all talking about well it becomes clear if you just look a little bit earlier in Nehemiah 12 verse 12 it says in the days of Joachim were priests heads of fathers houses of Sariah, Moriah, of Jeremiah Hananiah so those words of Ido Zechariah that they appear in a list of the heads of the priestly families. That tells us that Ido's family was a priestly family. And at that time, his grandson, Zechariah, was the head of the family. So Zechariah wasn't only a prophet, he was also a priest. Why did Nehemiah give this list of heads of priestly families? Well, in Nehemiah 12, 1-4, we read, These are the priests and the Levites who came up with Zerubbabel. And it gives a whole list of names, one of which is Iddo. So it tells us that Iddo was one of the priests who had returned with Zerubbabel. And it seems that Zechariah, was, as probably quite a young man, had done so too. 
he'd have seen the work of the rebuilding of the temple begin then he'd seen the opposition to it and the way in which it all ground to a halt uh, in Zechariah 4.24 as we read before then the work of the house of God that is in Jerusalem stopped and it ceased until the second year of the reign of Darius king of Persia so the work remained at a standstill until the second year of the reign of Darius 520 BC and that was when the word of the Lord came to Zechariah in Ezra 5 1 to 2 we read now the prophets Haggai and Zechariah the son of Iddo prophesied to the Jews who were in Judah and Jerusalem in the name of the God of Israel who was over them then Zerubbabel the son of Shealtiel and Jeshua the son of Josadak arose and began to rebuild the house of God that is in Jerusalem and the prophets of God were with them supporting them so Zechariah and Haggai were contemporaries that they both prophesied at the same time and same place and they were speaking into the same situation but it's worth noticing that their prophecies were, were very different in, in terms of, uh, of style and character. Haggai's were very much down to earth and practical. Zechariah's were much more visionary. And the two really complemented one another. And I think there's an important lesson there for us. It, it shows us that the Lord uses all sorts of people. He uses different personalities, different temperaments, different ways of, of looking at things. You imagine how dull it would be if we were all Haggai's, all facts and figures people. Now you can imagine Haggai, can't you, with his clipboard and, and consulting his spreadsheets. That's the sort of guy that Haggai was. And then you've got, uh, in contrast, Zechariah. You, you can imagine him you know, dozing on his beanbag, uh, humming the Beach Boys, wouldn't it be nice? You know, wouldn't it be nice if the temple was built? What a, what a contrast. But you see, having Haggai's and Zechariah's working as directed by the Lord, well, that's powerful and that's effective. So then what? Well, we've been told that the word of the Lord came to the prophet Zechariah. God had something to say, and he spoke it to Zechariah. Zechariah in turn told the people. Um, he emphasised that it was God's word that was being spoken. In verse 3 it says, Thus declares the Lord of hosts, Return to me, says the Lord of hosts, and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. Over and over again, the Lord says, the Lord declares. The emphasis is on the fact that this is coming from God and it wasn't just emphasised here at the outset you'll find it throughout the whole book time and time again God spoke and Zechariah was very conscious of the fact that it was the Lord who was speaking sometimes he spoke in strange visions that are very hard to understand sometimes he spoke in prophetic language and that can be difficult to understand as well. But the first thing he spoke through Zechariah was abundantly clear, uh, as we see in, in uh, verses 2 to 6 of this first chapter. 
in this first word of the Lord to Zechariah, he spoke very clearly. And we'll see that it included a a word of announcement, a word of appeal, a word of assurance, and a word of advice. So, a word of announcement. In verse 2 we read, The Lord was very angry with your fathers. Now we often read, don't we, in the Old Testament, that God is slow to anger and abounding in love. Um, Jonah knew that, didn't he? He wasn't happy about it, but he knew it. Um, But thank God he is uh, slow to anger and abounding in love. But we mustn't think that that means that God is therefore never angry. Uh, This prophecy of encouragement begins with the announcement that God had been very angry with their forefathers, with the forefathers of Zechariah and his contemporaries. What had they done that uh, made the Lord so angry, that that made the God who is slow to anger to be so very angry with them? Well, we find the example, uh, the the, um, answer, for example, in 2 Chronicles 36, 14 to 16. All the officers of the priests and the people likewise were exceedingly unfaithful, following all the abominations of the nations, and they polluted the house of the Lord that he had made holy in Jerusalem. The Lord, the God of their fathers, uh, sent persistently to them by his messengers because he had compassion on his people and on his dwelling place. But they kept mocking the messengers of God, despising his words and scoffing at his prophets until the wrath of the Lord rose against his people until there was no remedy. And you see the Lord persistently sent messengers to them. He was slow to anger. He he had compassion on them. He was abounding in love towards them. But they had mocked his messengers. They despised God's words. They scoffed at the prophets until the wrath of the Lord was aroused. We sometimes speak, don't we, of people having short fuses. The tiniest thing that displeases them makes them react angrily. They just fly off the handle. God isn't like that. But if he's continually mocked and despised and ignored, his anger grows until his wrath is poured out. When his wrath had been poured out on their forefathers in the mass slaughter at the hands of the Babylonians and then with the survivors being carted off into captivity. And now God was speaking to a, a new generation that was making a new beginning. That, that if you like, they, they, they were pioneers. That they were full of enthusiasm, full of optimism. And what did he announce to them through Zechariah? Well, he told them right from the outset they needed to keep in mind what had happened to their forefathers. New starts and new beginnings well, they, they can be very exciting, but they can also be very dangerous times because people get swept along on a tide of optimism and, and euphoria, 
think things seem so good, you know, the world's your oyster. But however exciting and exhilarating the circumstances, those caught up in it have sinful natures. So that things can go badly wrong very quickly. You, know, you can imagine the excitement of the, the children of Israel as they left Egypt. They've, they've seen God's power uh, as he made Pharaoh relent and let them go. That They'd seen him part the Red Sea for them so that they could pass through safely. And then how he'd drowned the pursuing Egyptians. You know, what a, what a thrilling adventure that was. How, how incredible that was. And yet how quickly they were rumbling and wanting to go back. Or you could think of the, um, perhaps the, Amer- the, the early settlers in America. They were so optimistic, so idealistic in setting about building their new world. But they were very quickly beset with all the failings and problems of the old world, weren't they? That the very evils that they thought they'd left behind, that they found they just carried there with them in their very own hearts. Well, these Jewish settlers had returned full of enthusiasm and then they'd met opposition. They'd they'd run out of steam and ground to a halt. But now, the work had started again. Things were looking up again. And it's at that very point that Zechariah comes along and begins by bringing them, if you like, back to earth. With a bump by saying... The Lord was very angry with your fathers. And it's as though he's saying to them, remember, you're no different from your forefathers. And the Lord is no different than he was either. History will repeat itself if you ignore and reject the Lord as your forefathers did. And of course, it's exactly the same today, isn't it? Those who persistently ignore and reject the Lord Jesus Christ will eventually know the anger of God. Now at the beginning of verse 3 the Lord says to Zechariah therefore say to them so since the Lord had been so angry with their forefathers this was what they needed to be told and the first part of what Zechariah was to say was a word of appeal But what was that appeal? Well, we see it in verse 3. Return to me, says the Lord of hosts. And the word return there really means turn back. Notice the Lord was saying, turn back to me. He's saying, you've come back to the land. You've come back to Jerusalem. That isn't enough. You must come back to me. The appeal isn't just to return to settle the land or rebuild the the temple or start conducting the religious ceremonies again. The appeal is for a personal return to the Lord himself. It's quite informative to note the point uh, in the proceedings at which this appeal came through Zechariah. You remember that it came in the eighth month of the second year of Darius. Um, if you read Haggai 1, chapter 1, verse 1, we read there, in the second year of Darius the king, in the sixth month, on the first day of the month, the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet, to Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, 
and the son of Jehozadak, the high priest. So Haggai had already been prophesying for two months before Zechariah received that word from the Lord. Haggai had given a word of, of rebuke that was intended to, to shake them out of their ease and their preoccupation with their own comfort. Um, he, he was shaking them out of, of their lethargy uh, so that they would con- go back to rebuilding the temple. And they'd been greatly stirred by, by Haggai's message. Uh, in Haggai 1, 14 and 15, we read, And the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and the spirit of all the remnants of the people. And they came and worked on the house of the Lord of hosts, their God, on the 24th day of the month of the sixth month in the second year of Darius. So Haggai's message had had an immediate effect. They'd returned to the work of building the temple. Things were moving again. That They were busy again. Now they were on their way. And then look at Haggai 2.1. In the seventh month of the 21st day of the month, the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet. So that was one month later. Haggai had, had preached to them, got them G'd up, got them working. And now one month later... He was prophesying concerning the future glory of the temple that they were building. And they had been greatly encouraged by that. What an encouragement to keep on with the building. However, that was still a month before Zechariah came along. Uh, it was after that encouraging prophecy from Haggai that Zechariah chimed in with his reminder of the Lord's anger with their forefathers and his appeal that they should return to the Lord. Do you see the point? They'd heard the word of the Lord through Haggai, they'd heeded it, they were building the temple again, and that was good. They'd been infused by the word of the Lord, but none of that activity and enthusiasm meant that their hearts were right with God. They still needed to return to the Lord. The activity isn't enough but being stirred by rousing words isn't enough they must come to the Lord himself that's the appeal or invitation that the Lord gives return to me come back to me in fact it's it's much stronger than a mere invitation isn't it um, the translation of verse 3 quite rightly reflects the fact that two different Hebrew words are being used. You notice the words declares and says. Now the word translated as declares there, well that has an urgency about it. it there's the urgency of it being, if you like, a challenge or, or a charge or almost a command. You know, It's not like an invitation to a birthday party, which... You know, he's really saying, well, please come if you can. You know, I hope you'll be able to make it. No, the word declares is saying, this is what you must do. This is really important. Um, it's very much what Jesus said, isn't it, in Matthew eleven twenty-eight: Come to me, all you who are labour and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Now, in saying that, he wasn't 
competing with, with the Lord's appeal, return to me. He wasn't offering himself as an alternative. You know, we read in, in John 14, verse 6, that Jesus also said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So coming to Jesus is the way to obey the Father's command to return to me. So the word of appeal was an urgent command from the Lord to return to him. Second part of what Zechariah was to say was a word of assurance. Having said, return to me, he goes on to say, and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. Now the word translated there as says, well, that means just that. It's a simple statement of fact. If you return to the Lord, you have his word that he'll return to you. It's much the same as, as what James said, isn't it? In James chapter 4, verse 8, where he said, Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. And then James continues through to verse 10 by saying, Cleanse your hearts, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. You see, God won't come near to you if you attempt to come to him lightly. If you attempt to come to him in a a presumptuous and self-righteous way. We must come in repentance, uh, recognising our need of him. If we come in that with that humility, we have his promise that he will lift us up. Why? Well, because he's slow to anger and abounding to life, uh, abounding in love. Return to the Lord in repentance and he'll return to you with spiritual blessing. That's really what was um, illustrated very clearly and powerfully in what we tend to call the, the parable of the prodigal son. It's really the parable of the loving father, isn't it? But you'll you, you know that in, in that story that Jesus told, the son had had left his father. He'd, he'd struck out on his own. He was determined to do exactly what he wanted to do. Uh, and where did that get him? Well, he ended up alone and eating pig food. And that eloquently <coughs> pictures what it's like living away from God but that then he came to his senses he remembered that even his father's servants were in a far better state than he was so he decided to return and he returned in a in a humble sense didn't he uh, he didn't go back saying I'm your son and I demand that you take me back he went back saying I've sinned against you. I was wrong. And I'm no longer worthy to be your son. But perhaps you'll be willing to give me a job as a servant. So he returned with that repentant heart, with humility, no presumption. And that's the picture of someone returning to the Lord in the right way. And what happened next in Jesus' story... Well, while the son was still a a, a long way off, the father saw him. He was filled with compassion. 
He ran to him, he threw his arms around him, he kissed him. He said, return to me, says the Lord of hosts, and I will return to you. The son said he'd sinned and wasn't worthy to be his son. And he really meant it. And it was true, wasn't it? And what did the father do? Well, he gave him the best robe, put a ring on his finger, sandals on his feet. The one who wasn't worthy to be a son anymore uh, was received as a son and treated as a son. Why was that? Because he had returned in, in humility and his father was compassionate and gracious. We're not worthy to be God's sons. We, we, we've all been far away from him. We, we've sinned against him. But he says, return to me and I will return to you. He gives that word of assurance. The last part of what Zechariah was to say was a, a word of advice. Moving on into verse 4, we read, Do not be like your fa- like your forefathers to whom the former prophets cried out. Thus says the Lord of hosts, Return from your evil ways and from your evil deeds. But they did not hear or pay attention to me, declares the Lord. So here we see the message that the Lord had given to their forefathers through the earlier prophets. And it had been, return from your evil ways and from your evil deeds. Uh, The message Zechariah was now bringing was, return to me. It's, It's essentially the same message again, isn't it? The Lord's message is always the same because the problem is always the same. The need is always the same. And the Lord's solution is always the same. Jesus said, come to me. The apostle said, repent and believe. The message is always the same. The appeal and promise are always the same. But the response isn't, is it? The, the word of advice given through Zechariah was to heed the lesson of history, not make that faithful mistake that their forefathers have made. Now, their forefathers had heard exactly the same message. How had they responded? Well, we read, But they did not hear or pay attention to me, declares the Lord. And what was the result of that? Well, they were taken into captivity and they died in in captivity. That was exactly what the Lord had warned them would happen if they continued to turn away from him. Um, we read in Zechariah 1 verses 5 and 6 your, fa- your, your fathers where are they and the prophets do they live forever but my words and my statutes which I commanded my servants the prophets did they not overtake your, fa- your fathers and when it eventually did happen they had to admit that God was just in doing so continuing in verse 6 we read so they repented and said as the Lord of hosts purposed to deal with us for our ways and deeds, so has he dealt with us. They deserved it. They'd been given every opportunity to return to the Lord. He was slow to anger and abounding in love, but they had spurned him and his anger had eventually come upon them. It, it, was, it will be exactly the same for every sinner in hell, won't it? None will be able to say it isn't fair. I don't deserve it. So what is the word of advice? Well, it's there in verse 4. Do not be like your fathers. 
of course, in, in many respects, they were inevitably like their forefathers. Uh, the same race, same nationality, same religion, same sinful nature. That There was nothing they could do about any of that, but there was one way in which they could not be like their forefathers. What had their forefathers been like? Well, they would not listen or pay attention when the Lord told them to turn from their evil ways. And we see it in verse 4. But they did not hear or pay attention to me, declares the Lord. Zechariah's advice was, don't be like that. Don't repeat their mistakes. But heed the Lord when he says, return to me. If you do, he promises and I will return to you. If you don't, his words and decrees will overtake you just as surely as they overtook uh, your forefathers. Now I said at the beginning that Zechariah is a message of encouragement. And uh, you might think, well, being told how sinful we are, being urged to repent and, and humble ourselves doesn't sound very encouraging. But this opening message it is vitally important. The fact is that there can be no real encouragement unless you first come to the Lord in repentance and humble faith. So in coming weeks, um, it's not going to be uh, perhaps as negative sounding as that was, but it will get very puzzling. 